Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event. Are you ready? Let's get ready to ramp up your sales. And now the man you've been waiting for. He is the real thriller in Manila. The undisputed, undefeated, reigning, defending, pound for pound, heavyweight, John, the sales machine, Rankins! Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Sales Machine Podcast. We're here today with, you know, an amazing guest, one of the world's leading decision scientists and theory of constraints expert. He's a serial entrepreneur, founder and CEO of Gold Rat Research Labs, creator of the theory of constraints, an award-winning scientist. He's served um, as an advisor to government agencies, NGOs, Fortune 500 companies such as Microsoft, Tata Steel, Nike, ABB, Cisco, uh, SAP, Intel, even the Habitat for Humanity, incorporating all of the science that's needed to be successful today, especially in the AI environment. So at the sales machine, we're always talking about the smart framework of sales, marketing, accountability, retention, and training. And I've talked to people for several different years, and I, I've always expressed to them that if you want your success to be automatic, it's got to be scientific. And if there's anyone in the world who has applied science to actually building and scaling businesses in sales and marketing and messaging, there's no better guy out there than Alan Bernard. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome him to the podcast. Alan, welcome. Thank you so much, John, for that kind introduction. Well, you're very welcome. So, you know, a lot of the companies that we work with, they're constantly facing challenges, not only with sales, marketing, but also getting their dream clients and figuring out long-term, attainable, sustainable, scalable systems so that not only they can increase sales, drive performance, but most importantly, continue to retain their customers. So based on your expertise working with some of the biggest companies in the world, what would you say is real and relevant right now for people to implement into their companies to get their dream clients? I think when it comes to sales, probably one of my biggest personal insights that I've applied both to my own business, but also those of our clients is if you ask yourself the question, and the audience can ask themselves the question, who's your biggest competitor? We tend to think it's the company down the road or maybe across the pond or across the ocean that's supplying a similar product to ours or similar service to ours. We think that they are the biggest competitor. But actually our biggest competitor, the one that we lose most sales to, is the no-buy decision of our dream customer. Do you think about that? It's a dream customer. We call somebody a dream customer when we absolutely believe that they are the ones that would most benefit from the product or service that we're selling. So if they tell us no, you know, it's devastating, right? But that's the key for any salesperson is to try and understand why is your dream customer 
not buying your amazing product or service. And I can share some big insights that we've had there and some practical applications around exactly that key question. Why is my dream customer not buying my amazing product or service? You know, that's brilliant because, uh, you know, I built and scaled sales teams my entire life, it seems, right, for more than 30 years. So obviously I'm a bit dated. I always pre-frame the situation. Whenever you get a no for salespeople, there's always a next opportunity. And if you consistently are getting no's and you know your value proposition is better than your competitors, then obviously your dream client doesn't know enough about your product. And if they don't know enough and or they don't know you, they will not know you. If they don't know you, they won't like you and they won't trust you. So I want you to expound on that for uh, companies out there to understand how, like in marketing, it's essential to sell without selling, but establishing that value proposition up front, because if they don't know enough about you and they know more about your competition and their value proposition, then you lose the sale. Absolutely. So I will cover just two points. Both of them have got a grounding in psychology, right? So we know when we study human psychology that there's a bias that we have towards certainty. We are attracted by things that make us feel certain about it, right? That's why big brands are so powerful because it's kind of a, you know, we know what we're going to get if we go to McDonald's, right? There's a level of certainty to it. So that's the first one I will cover. The second one is we have a bias. We don't want to give up something that we already have. So let me give you examples of the two of them. The first one is how does our bias towards certainty and fear of uncertainty, how can that cause a dream client to say no? So I want you to imagine you've got a product or service and as a salesperson, you've done your homework, you wanna show positive value. So in your mind, you've quantified the benefit that the client is gonna get. Let's say the benefit is gonna be 20, and you've quantified the cost for the client. And in your mind, the cost will be 10. So you say benefit minus cost is equal to value. So there's a plus 10 benefit for the client, right? They will essentially double their return investment. They invest 10, they get 20 back. For you, it's an absolute no-brainer, right? Sorry. You are absolutely convinced that the client will love this because who doesn't want to make money? Who doesn't want to double their money, right? And you present your offer to them, you take them through the calculations, and they go, no, thank you. And you don't understand what the hell happened. So here's essentially what happens. If you think about a skeptical buyer, right, when they hear you say a benefit of 20, what do you think is going on in their mind? They go, salespeople exaggerate. So if they claim it's 20, probably it's 10, right? And then you, they hear the cost of 10 and they go, salespeople always underplay the cost. So if they tell me it's 10, it's probably going to cost me 20. So those same numbers in the buyer's mind generates negative 10 value, not positive 10 value, right? And now you're stuck because both sides are missing out on a fantastic opportunity. So one of the things that we teach salespeople is to never use numbers a single number for something. What you want to do is the following. 
you want to show them what the likely benefit will be of somebody using your product or service, but then you discount it and say, the worst case benefit that you're going to get, absolute worst case, our clients typically get between 30 and 50 as a benefit. The worst case benefit for you, we think it's going to be 20. Then you look at the cost side and you also want to show the worst case cost. You say, listen, we can do these type of implementations for somewhere between five to eight, right? That's the range. Worst case, if you are the most complex case we've ever experienced, it will probably be 10. So what you're now doing is you're giving the client the worst case benefit and the worst case cost and you're showing them that the worst case benefit is still an order of magnitude greater than the worst case cost. I call that a hell yes decision, right? It's a really easy decision because you've removed all the uncertainty. You don't talk about likely numbers or best case scenarios. You share that with them to provide an anchoring point, but then you, you showed how conservative you are and how absolutely certain you are that they will get positive value. So that to me is by far the simplest trick that any of, of your audience can apply tomorrow is just to pay attention to that. What does it take for a client to perceive positive value? Use worst case benefit versus worst case cost. I love it. And you know, so many times people complicate it and over promise and under deliver. And so when you're talking about the psychology and I talk about this a lot because essentially, it's the psychology you have put into a methodology that's going to determine your the outcome of you serving a client. Like, I, I don't believe in the art of closing as much as the art of serving, right? And absolutely, when, when you talk about certainty, it's absolutely the transfer of confidence that makes a sale. And so I always say, you know, when in doubt, they're out. And, and that's been my experience. Uh, from selling door to door to selling, you know, store to store to in the boardroom on stages or even enterprise level sales. Now, I always understand what are the needs of the client. So I love how you've eliminated the risk, essentially, rather than talking about all of the benefits, because what drives people all people's behavior, and this is even organizational behavior. And I want you to expound on that. What drives people's behavior is either pain or pleasure, right? And growth is pleasure, but also making a mistake or signing off on a new deal that potentially could cost you your job, right? At the highest levels in the corporate world, right? When you eliminate the pain or you can eliminate the risk, then you're 10 times more likely to get the sale rather than over-promoting. And when you're coming from service, which is a different psychology of sales, and Zig Ziglar used to talk about this, and this is a guy that's my hero. Like there's all these different methodologies. We talk about psychology and methodology. The fact is sales is something I'm doing for you, not to you. And when you come from that mindset that I'm, I love sales because for me, it's an opportunity for me to help other businesses or individuals so that they can have a better life. They can experience more pleasure. But the way you contextualize it is talk about the worst case scenario. Don't always talk about the best case scenario because people 
are inundated with so much information today, uh, with yep. so much, so many different options, so many different choices, that it's challenging for them to make a great decision because of all the risk out there, right? So expound on that. It's about trust, right? The trust is being eroded every single day. People don't know who to trust anymore. You know, I'll give an example of uh, we work in a space where we provide uh, retailers with software that can help them reduce their inventories, right? And you go in there and you show, listen, you've got $100 million of inventory. We feel very confident that we can reduce it by 10%. So that's $10 million of additional free cash flow that we're going to be releasing. And our cost is only going to be, you know, half a million dollars. It's like, and they don't buy. And it's like, how can it be? Right. The benefit is like we're confident of the benefit and yet they don't buy. So what I did was I said, now, just to, like you say, create a system that salespeople can follow. So we give the salesperson the tools to quantify the benefit. It'll be somewhere between 10 and 20 percent. So 10 to 20 million dollars. But then we say to him, listen, worst case scenario, absolutely worst case. Let's just assume you just get a one percent reduction in inventory. Right. That's a million dollars of additional cash that you're releasing, right? And our solution is going to be half a million dollars, right? You'll pay it back in six months and it's done. Of course, we believe that it's possible to get 10 to 20%. But thinking about that worst case benefit and allowing them to compare it to the worst case cost, that's the way to make it a hell yes decision from a buyer perspective. As you said, as long as there's any form of uncertainty, you know, they're not going to say yes. Yeah, and you, you know, I love that because now you become an irresistible offer, but, you know, and the only obvious choice to do business with. When you can come from a place and a space of telling the truth and showing the proof with companies that you did it with, like in the software industry, we have to sign a lot of NDAs, right? And a lot of people don't want to put out there that they're doing business with us because they want confidentiality as well. So have you experienced that a lot? Because I'm all about telling the truth, showing the proof. And I always go back. My default mode is always about that methodology. So like Zig Ziglar talks about, you know, you first of all, come from service, solve their problem, and ultimately make sure they're satisfied. Keep following up so that not only do you get the customer, but you you keep the customer. And that's another thing I do with the salespeople. When you talk about methodology, for me, it's really simple to take the salesperson out of the equation and bring the methodology or the process into it by taking the focus off of them. Because whenever a salesperson is nervous, it's because they're focused on their self. They're not focused on the customer and the service. So I always say, you know, when in service, never nervous. You're never right. nervous because you're there to help someone. You know what I mean? And I find more and more today in all of the different industries that I've worked with, and I've worked with a lot, and I know you've worked with a lot. I've watched you work with a client in South Africa before going through your methodology, and I saw how they were blown away that, you know, you could shore up an additional million dollars or $10 million in inventory by your scientific methodology that's now proven 
Uh, and I know you're working with some of the leading experts around the world. Some are colleagues and friends like Jay Abraham, right? Yes. You're actually masterminds with him, with some of the highest level people in the world and refining your efforts. So how do you think people can use your methodologies even right now in the simplest form beyond the worst case scenario, which is brilliant. And no one talks about that, right? Everybody's always talking about the benefits, but a, a confused mind doesn't act. A confused mind does not buy. And in the absence of value, if they don't know your value proposition, they've been conditioned with all of the different sales pitches and methodologies that they're resisting from the from the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how do like you that up front? And what can people do right now using your methodologies beyond shoring up cash flow? but to get their dream clients. Right. So I mentioned the first one is, is to, to correct this problem with uncertainty, right? Using the worst case benefit versus worst case cost. The second one requires us to understand a little bit that we all have a bias. We don't want to give up something that we already have, and we don't want to gain something that we don't want. And we can use this to our advantage in sales. For me, the difference between a product and a service that I'm selling, and the final offer that I'm making is that the offer addresses all the yes buts of the client, if that makes sense. All the reasons why they wouldn't buy, a really skilled salesperson will encourage this the, the buyer to, to share those reasons with them. And every time they share a reason with them of why they wouldn't buy, why they, you know, have some kind of fear of buying, they will build up the offer to that. So I'll give you two, two examples on a very simple framework that your, your listeners and viewers can use. So imagine you were selling a keto-based diet product, right? Your dream customer is somebody that is overweight, that has self low self-confidence as a result of the overweight, right? And believe that their kids are embarrassed to be seen with them, you know, so there's a lot of emotion attached to being overweight, right? And you want to say, listen, invest in my keto diet product. And what are we going to do? We're going to allow you to lose weight and keep it off. That is the positive, the unique positive of buying my product is you will lose the weight and keep it off. And the unique negative that you will get rid of is the feeling of guilt and frustration and shame that you have, right? So imagine now the buyer has a decision to make. Invest in the, the keto diet versus don't. Investing in the keto diet has a positive, which is reduce my weight and keep it off. And there's a negative of not doing it, which is the shame and the, the blame is not going to go away. Now, a good salesperson will focus on those two things, right? Like you said, the pleasure that the that the buyer will get and the pain that they can avoid. That's unfortunately not what's sitting in the mind of the buyer. What the dominant factor sitting in the mind of the buyer is what am I going to have to give up that I want to keep, which is the positive of not investing, right? And what do I have to gain that I don't want, which is a negative of your offer of investing. So if you think about that, if somebody didn't invest, why haven't they bought into the keto diet? 
What's the unique positive is that they can eat what they want, like bread and pasta, right? So as, as long as they're thinking, and this is an unverbalized fear, as long as somewhere in their subconscious, they're thinking, listen, yes, I can adopt this. It'll bring me all these benefits, but I'm going to have to give up bread and pasta. And I love bread and pasta, right? That could be the main reason why this guy doesn't buy. So as soon as the seller asks them directly, is there anything that you're scared to give up by taking up our offer, right? And they say, yes, you know, I love eating what I want and I, I really want to be able to keep on eating bread and pasta. The next time the salesperson pitches us, he can say, oh, by the way, as part of our keto diet, we also offer you with low-carb choices of bread and pasta. So you don't have to give up the foods that you love eating, right? So you, you put that into the offer ahead of time and that addresses that fear. The second part that they could resist your offer is that there's some negative that they associate uniquely with your product or offering. So if you think about it, what could be in their mind, in the, in the mind of your dream customer, what could be a potential negative of adopting a keto diet? Typically, two things come up. It's going to take a lot of effort for me to do it, and it will be very costly, right? Right. So now, okay. As soon as the salesperson knows that this is also a fear that the person have, they can include it in the offer to say, listen, we have prepackaged meals that removes all effort from your side. Every single day, you can select whether you want one, two or three meals a day. It comes prepackaged. We have absolutely delicious food. So you're addressing the fear that this is going to be effortful. Actually, it's going to be much simpler. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You'll always get it delivered. And interestingly enough, if you do the calculations, the actual cost per meal is going to come down, not go up, right? So that's kind of an example of how to use this thinking about what can block the client from buying my offer. It's very seldom that they're ignorant of the benefit of my product or service or that they're ignorant of the pleasure or they're ignorant of the pain if they don't buy it. Most likely, it's a fact that they don't want to give up the positive that they uniquely associate with the status quo, and they don't want to live with the negative. So that's a very practical example. I'll give you one more in organizations that we find very interesting. So any of our viewers out there that are selling into organizations, B2B, right? It took us a, quite a bit of time to figure this out, but imagine you're in an organization. What do you think is the biggest fear of a person inside of an organization. Of course, there's a fear of getting laid off, right? So that's that's one big one, right, is being laid off. But what we found is that there's a bigger fear than that, which is to be exposed as a non-expert in my field, right? The company hired me as an expert. So what we realize is that if you are selling a coaching service or consulting service, and you can clearly show the benefit of the company using your consulting service or your coaching service or maybe even your software like what we are doing, right? If that person that has to make the buy decision believes that somehow your advice or your software is going to expose them as a non-expert, it will jeopardize the status that they have in their, that organization, they will be a very irrational and absolutely reject your proposal. So what you want to do is if you 
aware that that could be a concern, you want to address it inside of the offer, right? So exactly what you mentioned, what you are doing with Sales Machine, is that we will provide you with the training and coaching. So you're going to be able to elevate yourself to be one of the best experts in your field through the training and coaching that we will give you. So, and I'm sure you have a ton of others that you can think about. It's like, what is that deepest fear that's holding that buyer back from buying your product or service, trying to figure out what it is. And something I find quite amazing is how few salespeople ever follow up and say, listen, me and my team is absolutely devastated. You know, we believe you are our dream customer. You would get so much value, right, from our product or service. And you said no. We were absolutely devastated. You know, we, we're not sleeping at night. Can you please tell me what did we miss? You know, I, I know our chance with you is over, but it will mean the world to me and my team if you can please tell us what did we miss? You know, what? which of your fears did we not address? And just doing that, and often, you know, people will share it, right? Especially if they think that there's nothing that they have to lose. And when they share it and you say, listen, would you be open if we could address that? Would you be give us another chance to, to listen to us again? You know, give us a second chance. Often they say absolutely yes. So that to me is my two key points I, I hope is valuable. One is to address the fear of uncertainty by focusing on worst case benefit versus worst case cost. And then the second one is the fear of, of loss. It may often an exaggerated fear of loss or effort or risk or cost that you can address directly in your offer. Yeah, and that's exactly, you know, I have a sales methodology even myself as far as first and foremost is just build connection, right? I mean, connection is deeper than rapport, but the only way to do that is situational intelligence. Finding out what is their situation, what are they going through, and then problem awareness, right? And so finding out, what are going to be those objections that they have up front or what are their biggest challenges right up front? Because obviously, you know, everybody's wants to have the benefit and doesn't want to give up. And that's why I love how you eliminate the risk. And this entire podcast is about understanding the psychology of sales, but also the psychology of your customer and what they want to buy. And I love how you talked about fear because most people would never even consider that as an obstacle. But, you know, when we're in fear, it's fight or flight. It's not write a check. <laughs> it's, it's fight or flight. So you're obviously not going to take advantage of an offer. And when you're infused, when you're in fear, you're confused, right? Confused mind doesn't buy. So I love how you've expounded on that. And one of my friends and colleagues, Brad Lee, he's amazing. He follows the methodology of just first and foremost, have a conversation. Right. You know, a real authentic conversation that, you know, uses situational intelligence to find out what are the challenges, what are the problems, what are the fears. And if you are handling objections, especially on an enterprise level sale, at the end of the sale, you've already lost the sale. Right. That idea of, of not just looking for the pain, but also for the pleasure, for the desires, right? Somebody that I really admire and sells is Jeffrey Gittemore. And he, he talks about that. He says, you know, 
typical salespeople are asking the client what keeps you up at night. But a really good salesperson also says what wakes you up in the morning. You know, what do you want more of? What will elevate your status? And really showing them that by partnering with them, you know, using your product or service will dramatically elevate the status, how they look at themselves, how others look at them. So getting that balanced view of both what are the desires, but also the fears and make sure your offer addresses both of those critical emotional elements. Yeah, especially when you're talking to enterprise level clients where there's a corporate structure and there's several levels, you know, one decision could cost somebody their job and their career like you're talking about. So it's been my experience whenever there's a consideration at that highest level. My methodology is always about listening to the client, listening to the high level decision maker. And a lot of times in B2B sales, it's not one decision maker. There's several different people involved in the escalation of the offer. So with the ability to listen, right? To just totally listen with sincere service minded aspect of solving the problem. My methodology is all about noting down all of their challenges, their fears, their problems, and then finding out what the solution is and then aligning the solution of like an automated sales machine software. I align that solution to be the, their idea. Yeah, I like that. And I, I like the fact that you're talking at multiple levels because I think it's something that salespeople can often miss, you know, they're thinking about they they selling to the buyer, but there's really three people involved there, right? Three types of people. There's, of course, the buyer that is making the decision whether to buy, but then there's the one that has to pay for it. That's the owner or the investor. You have to make sure that you are providing the buyer with enough information that will show the compelling return on investment to the investor or the owner. But then you also have the user. Right. And unless you can show the user how your product or service is going to save them time, make their life easier, simpler, make it more confident for them to make decisions, you're going to struggle. So I think you're absolutely right. An experienced salespeople is not just concentrating on the one that they're selling to. They're trying to build connections with all three of those, the user, the buyer and the payer ultimately. Yeah. And so and it's brilliant you brought that up. Because ultimately, you need to sell everybody in that organization. And the one that's bringing the offer to the owner of the company needs to be an ambassador. And my goal is for it to be their idea to use the sales machine so that they get the credit. Not so much us, but they get the credit. So that eliminates the fear. But obviously, we have to show the value because it doesn't matter how good your system is. And this is a problem with a lot of CRMs. I did, I did my own research on CRMs in the marketplace. And did you know that 67% of sales and marketers don't use the software bought by the owners? They just want to get into the selling or the marketing and doing the work. They don't really want to use the platform. So it was amazing to me that nobody thought about how can I drive performance? How can I get people to use a software that actually drives their performance with psychology? And that's something we did differently. And I reverse engineered the sales machine because of my own problem. 
So I went to Salesforce, I went to HubSpot, I went to Zoho, and I told them about my challenges of maintaining inspiration, motivation, and driving performance with the sales team. Right. That also brings up another really important mistake that I often see, right? The sales guy makes the sale, right? And he goes, job done, right? But like you know, problem is, especially if you're selling something on a SaaS basis, it's a constant sale, right? So your number one priority must then shift to, okay, they've bought it now. Why wouldn't they use it? Why wouldn't they extract most value from it? And a good salesperson then takes on that role of account manager and is frequently, especially in that beginning few weeks, which is the most critical time, is to pay attention to the users, to try and understand, are you using it? Are you getting value from it? What's blocking you from using it more frequently? What's blocking you from unlocking the full value? Because it's like, why are they not buying Equally important is why are they not using it? You know, it's really frustrating if a client invests it and then they don't use it and they can't get value if they don't use it. And often it has to do with the complexity that's involved there. You know, you talk a lot about gamification and I know you've, you've invested a lot to gamify sales machine because it has to be simple. It has to be fun to use. Else people simply won't use it and they won't renew their licenses. Yeah, and because the users won't use it. They'll tell their supervisors it didn't work. And then the supervisor will tell the, the owner that, hey, unfortunately, you know, we invested all this money, but it didn't work. And then that's when they're in fear of losing their job. None of these companies listened to me. I said, look, I don't care how much money it takes. I'm managing over 2,000 people in sales. And they're in all different industries from advertising, real estate, skincare, car care loyalty app software. I need this solution that can drive their performance. So I need beyond a fancy address book with, you know, following and capturing leads and, and each stage of the deal. I need rewards. I need recognition. I need competition. I need compensation. I need that built into the platform. I need accountability. I need to see what my people are doing, not to police them, I need to see what they're doing, how they're doing it, so that I know what do I need to do to improve upon it. You're a scientist, right? And if you don't manage, track, and measure the activity, you can never determine why are people getting the different results. It's all about the methodology. That's why this is so important to me to help other companies around the world because I struggled. And that's why I built the sales machine. I never thought I would be in the software business. Right. You know, if you want to make sure that your methodology gets used and can scale and get spread out, you know, you need software. That's the mechanism to make your methodology adoptable, right, and scalable, etc. There's no real other option. You know, I, I watched you on stage in Vegas. It was just a coincidence. And it was amazing. We were at the AI Summit, uh, the Intercon, where, you know, Facebook's won the award, uh, Instagram won the award. And then I was there for my own reasons. And that was to receive an award for innovation in software, right? And I never even knew that you were there. And I'd met you at a mastermind where you stole the show. And then in Intercon, when you went up and you got your award and they asked you to keynote, right, and to explain, right. I remember how you stole the show. 
with guys like Microsoft and all these different AI people in the room, and you completely stole the show about your methodologies in science for increasing behavior. And, and then I know you went on and you worked with Microsoft from there. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience in getting that award and how you monetize that? Sure. So uh, what happened with Microsoft is uh, they reached out to me and I said, listen, you know, we have a big challenge. We need to redesign our supply chain, global supply chain. Uh, they had recently had bought Nokia and Nokia supplied everything to order, right? When they got orders from the big cell phone companies, they made everything to order. They didn't ever make to stock. Uh, whereas Microsoft, you know, supplying keyboards and mouses and, you know, Surface Pros, et cetera, was making everything to stock. And I said, we need a software solution that can adopt both of those. They were using SAP at the time. And they said, look, we were thinking about, you know, implementing your solution of theory of constraints, but we have a problem. It's a very tight deadline. I said, okay, you know, this was the end of August. I said, well, when do you want to go live? They said, 15th of December. I said, next year, right? Uh, because, you know, anybody that knows anything about SAP is that the, these SAP projects take a long time to implement. They're often over time and over budget. Here they were talking about doing a global implementation and going live within three months. So essentially what we had done is one of the products that we've developed is a digital twin where you can actually build a complete virtual world of a supply chain and test decisions like changing the way that you're managing inventory and see the impact of those decisions on your downstream clients, on your own operations, and on your upstream suppliers, and make sure that you are picking a set of inventory management rules that's really a win-win-win. And if it wasn't for that digital twin, you know, there would have been too much uncertainty for them to adopt a new solution uh, like theory of constraints. It's a very counterintuitive solution, you know, only supplying small quantities very frequently to sense, you know, what's really happening using AI, et cetera. So that was a key thing is we overcome, came their fear of uncertainty by providing them a virtual world that they can play with and show them, allow them to accurately quantify the value that they're going to get. Well, in that same financial years, after they gave us the go-ahead to go and implement the solution into their SAP system, they were able to reduce their inventories by over a quarter of a billion dollars and increased sales by over $100 million. And that came from reducing avoidable shortages and surpluses. That was essentially their big pain point, is that they had shortages and surpluses in the retail, but they thought that it's one of those things that's unavoidable. You know, your forecast is always going to be inaccurate. What can you do? And we showed them through the digital twin that actually many of those shortages and surpluses were avoidable. They just need to change the way that they're managing their inventories and supply chain. That's it. That's all you did. That's all you did is reduce the inventory by a quarter of a billion dollars and increase sales by a hundred million dollars. That's all you did. Well, I mean, that's all we did by changing a few rules, right? Obviously, it, it, it takes time to figure out what are these few simple rules. Alan, Alan, I think you're slacking, you know. I, you know, I can't believe you didn't do, you know, 
200 million or reduce it by, you know, a half a billion? Well, actually, the next year, they continued to use the rules and, and inventory went down by another quarter of a billion. So total reduction was about half a billion. Yeah, I stand, yeah. stand corrected. John, I think, you know, thank you for reminding me. I mean, it was a really incredible case study and we felt honored to be involved with it. But what it showed me is that, you know, we often get overwhelmed with complexity. You know, you go into these organizations that is so large, like Microsoft, you know, and you think they're massively complex. So we tend to look for very sophisticated solutions. Sophisticated solutions can't work. It has to be simple, right? Every time I do one of these complex projects, you know, initially it's kind of overwhelming. You think, what the hell was I thinking? But then, you know, you're just patient with yourself and you figure out there's always this profound simplicity there somewhere, right? There's one thing that I can change that can have a massive impact. And the way to think about it is most salespeople out there know about 80-20, right? Is that if you're trying to give your client an effect, right? You're trying to help them grow their sales, reduce their cost or, or investment, right? Of that 100% effect that you want to give them, there's got to be 20% of the changes that will contribute to 80% of that effect. So of all the things that they can change, 20% will give you 80% the result. But what people don't realize is 80-20 applies on itself. In science, we we call it fractal, right? It's fractal, it's self-similar. So 20% of 20% will give you 80% of 80%. So four of the changes will actually give you 64% of the effect. And then you can apply it again to say 20% of the four, which is about one, will give you 80% of the 64, which is 50%. And to me, that's our job, right? As salespeople wanting to serve our clients is to help them figure out what is that one thing that if they can change it, they can get almost all of the effect that they're looking for. I know that's brilliant. And I also practice that, especially with the smart methodology and the sales machine. So I, I work with other companies and a lot of CEOs that want to improve their company. And a lot of people complicate things, right? Especially in the academic world, uh, a lot of theory, uh, a lot of people are out there justifying or validating why they went to school rather than solving a real problem and using what I call uncommon sense. Because there's there's nonsense, right? There's common sense, and then there's uncommon sense. And you, my friend, have what I call uncommon sense. And even when I work with clients, I look at all aspects of their business to drive performance because a lot of the time, the users or the, the salespeople, it's like, 20% do the 80%. And the reason why is because nobody raises the waterline. The waterline never gets raised. So when you're doing rewards, recognition, competition, compensation with salespeople, a lot of the times it's over a duration of time. And therefore, the top 20% always win or the, it's always the top one. The top three almost always win. So what happens is the rest of the people within a month in, just give up because they don't feel like they can make a difference or they can win. And that's psychology. So I always ask these different business owners, it's not just about sales. It's also about marketing, accountability, achievement, retention, and training. So what's the number one thing that you can do that will make the biggest difference 
in the shortest amount of time that's sustainable and scalable. And how do we refine that? Yeah, and how to make it simple, right? I have a funny story. I hope that they don't mind me telling it, but one of the companies I've worked with for a long time is SAP, right? So I get invited to their head office and they said, you know, we're going to be working and basically looking at the top clients in their list that is not satisfied with their offering at the moment. And, you know, basically at, at risk of losing these clients. So I thought, wow, this is going to be impressive because I heard all of these things about their own CRM system that they've developed inside of SAP. And this will be the first time that I can see this thing in action, right? So I get into the meeting and I'm all fired up. I'm just like waiting for them to load up this new advanced CRM system. And the guy brings it up and it's an Excel spreadsheet. And I was like, um, like, where's your CRM system? The guy packs out laughing, quite embarrassed. He said, you know what? I have to be honest. It's so complicated and I haven't really been able to get trained up on it. So we just use Excel. And that's the problem, right? Is if your product or service is too complicated, you know, you're not going to use it. Never mind your client, right? And, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of academics and people in the software industry. Like I said, I never... I never thought I would be a guy that's going to get into building the software. And so when I was going through building the software, it was all about performance management to increase sales, drive performance, and retain our customers. That's it. Those are the goals I wanted to accomplish. So the way I did that was creating that smart framework in sales, marketing, accountability, retention, and training. And I call it smart because it's, it's really simple. And, you know, whenever our salespeople now go out and they're dealing with a lot of competition, because there's a lot of comp competition out there, and they say, oh, well, we have a solution already, or, oh, we already have a CRM. Oh, 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 wait a minute. How are you different than this guy? How are you different than that guy? And they, they ask a, a really simple question. They say, well, is, is your CRM smart? And they're right. like, well, what do you mean? Yeah, well... Does it drive performance? Does it, is it intuitive and smart? Does it have a psychology, a methodology built into technology? People are like, what are you talking about? Well, look, you look to the sidebar in the sales routine, and that's what it says, smart. Sales, marketing, accountability, retention, and training. You don't even have to be smart to use it. Absolutely. You know, I promised you I'll share some of the biggest mistakes that salespeople make, right? So we covered the first one, which is, allowing their dream customer not to buy or not to continue using it because they miss something, some kind of exaggerated fear. But there's, a, there's another big mistake that salespeople make, which is giving away discounts that's unnecessary. And often they have no idea how this impacts the bottom line, right? Imagine a company with 100 million in sales, or it could be 100,000 in sales, right? And I have net profit of five. So 5%, right? If you give away just 1% discount, your sales will go from 100 to 99. Your profit will go from 5 to 4. That's a 20% reduction in profit for every 1% discount you are giving away. And often, if you're the business owner, for those that are listening, right, or you're head of sales, I have some homework for you. Go and just pull a report for any of the products or services that you're selling and ask it to give you a distribution 
of what's the selling price that you've sold this product for. So what's the lowest price you've ever sold it for? What's the average and what's the, the list price, right? And what you'll notice is this very skewed distribution where most of the time it's being sold at the maximum discount. Whenever a salesperson gets a bit of pushback, so the client is not seeing or believing the benefit, they tend to feel pressure to give them a better price, right? But they have no idea how that reduction in price can massively impact the profitability of that client. So, you know, if your profitability is 10%, then a 1% reduction in price will give you a 10% reduction in net profit, right? And also the opposite. If you can just reduce your discount by just 1%, you'll make 10 or 20% more money from a sale. So th that's the last one I wanted to share as salespeople sit down with your financial guy, understand your profit and loss, understand how a 1% increase or decrease in the average selling price of your product or service can dramatically increase your net profit and stop giving away unnecessary discounts. A hundred percent. You know, I deal with this all the time. And, you know, the, the last question I want to ask you is, uh, you know, at Intercon, you and I both got this award. Yours for your scientific background, mine for innovation in software. And that was an AI conference. And now since, you know, last year, AI has just blown up. You are, you know, one of the world leading scientists for predictable behavior and stuff like that. Uh, so I want to get your take now on the future of sales or AI, because a lot of people are asking this, you know, and a lot of people ask me about it. And I always default into know, like, and trust. But things are changing all the time. And as an expert scientist, like I say, if you want your success to be automatic, make it scientific. Well, Alan Bernard, ladies and gentlemen, is the definition of scientific, right? And But for creating a result, not just for geeking out on numbers, but creating relevant, real results right now in your business. So in AI, Alan, how do you see the future going right now? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the benefits of AI is just unbelievable, right? Uh, Two big opportunities with it is the ability to automate something, right, where rather than having to custom do messages, emails, creating avatars, you can ask this thing to generate a unique email for each of your 10,000 clients based on its understanding of what most likely that client's pains and pleasures are, fears and desires. So the ability to do that at scale is just incredible. The other part is that generative AI like ChatGPT has developed incredible intuition around understanding specific people. So when you are using it, and I will highly encourage every salesperson out there, if you haven't done it, start playing with it. You know, it's for free and put in a prompt. The prompt is basically just the instruction that you're putting in, right? And the more specific that instruction will be, the better the answer will be. So you can put in there to say, tell ChatGPT, I want you to be the corporate buyer of a business of around half a billion dollars that are buying, you know, stationery. And I want you to tell me what are the unique challenges that this buyer is currently experiencing and how can I modify my offer 
in a way that immediately will address those. You know, so the more specific you are, and it will instantly give you answers. Uh, you know, to do split testing. I mean, you talked about marketing and sales, right? So part of our job is also to come up with advertising copy and marketing copy is to ask it to, to give you five or 10 or 20 options and you can try it out there. So for me, if, if salespeople are not already, you know, playing around with it, do so. You're going to be missing out the amount of insights that you can get because ChatGPT is so, so knowledgeable, you're missing out big time. And of course, the ability to automate this and do it at scale at a level, a customized mass production, essentially what they used to call, right? Is you mass producing something, but you customizing every single one that you are producing, whether that's email messaging or follow-up emails, etc. That's phenomenal. And so now my final question for you, you know, I have a, a huge amount of respect and I've watched you make such a huge difference in a lot of these biggest businesses in the world. So obviously you've achieved a lot of personal and professional goals, but what's next for you? What's next for you, Al? Yeah, you know, I was interviewed a while ago and the person said to me, you know, being a decision scientist and wanting to help people make better decisions in life and in organizations, you know, what's the biggest decision mistake that you can make as a human being? And you know, in that moment, I really reflected on it. And it's it's to take your own life or somebody else's life. You know, so that to me is, you know, apart from the work that we're doing with corporate and helping them improve their decision making and hopefully, you know, making more income and more impact in the world, uh, whether it's a for-profit or for-purpose organization. But at an individual level, that's really, for me, the legacy I want to leave is, is helping people that are in such a desperate mental state of hopelessness and helplessness that they believe that taking their own life or somebody else's life is the only viable option and teaching them simple skills of how to pause, how not to overreact, how to think about the outcomes that they really want and coming up with better options, you know, options that have big upside if it works and small downside if it doesn't. I've had the privilege of working with a few suicide prevention centers, but that's really what my big passion is, is at an individual level, how to capitalize on the research that we've done so far on why good people make and often repeat bad decisions and developing simple methods, turning those methods into simple decision support apps like the Harmony Decision Maker app that I developed, that I got that award for, that you can download you know, from, from the app store. It's a free, free app. And it will immediately help you by asking you the right questions, help you make better, faster decisions, both in your personal life and, and also in, in your business. Not only, not only do you have a brilliant mind, you, you're a beautiful man and you have a beautiful heart, Alan. It's an honor for me to have you as a friend and thank you for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, he just gave you enormous value for how you can implement worst case scenario in your offers, uh, handle fears in your offers, uh, increase your profits without giving discounts, value, value, value. You're a genius, Alan. Any way I can, can reciprocate and uh, be a part of your mission, love to do it, man. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, John, for the invitation and, and good luck with your podcast series and with Sales Machine. You know, it's it's solving a really, really important problem that so many businesses 
have out there. Um, I have a, a, a YouTube channel, Dr. Alan Barnard. You know, there's a lot of uh, um, really good videos of um, us sharing new insights of our clients doing presentation. It's all free resources. So uh, if anybody wants to hear more about it, just uh, uh, search Dr. Alan Barnard and uh, you'll pick up my, my uh, YouTube channel and other social media channels. Brilliant. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining me today. And if you got value from this episode, do me a favor, like, subscribe, and refer a friend. And if you want even more value, go to thesalesmachine.com, click on resources, and there's tons of resources there to increase profits and drive performance in your business. Right on, right on, come on.